0: Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that, it's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a Street Smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hello, Sarah Shaw here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And today I'm talking with fashion designer Rebecca Minkoff, who's an industry leader in accessible luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel. Rebecca Minkoff's playful and subtle edgy designs can be spotted around the world on young women and celebrities alike. After developing an affinity for design while in the costume department in high school, Rebecca moved to New York City at 18 to pursue her dreams of becoming a fashion designer. Today, Rebecca has developed into a global lifestyle brand in a wide range of accessories, footwear, apparel, handbags, jewelry, and wearable tech. The brand is distributed in over 900 stores worldwide with flagship stores in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Chicago slated to open later this year. The brand also has freestanding stores in Hong Kong, Tokyo, Japan, and Korea. Welcome, Rebecca. I'm really excited to talk to you today.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how you went from costume
0: design in high school to deciding to move to New York at 18 and you know, how, that, how, your, how that kind of translated into you wanting to become a fashion designer and kind of what your first steps were doing all that.
1: I think that um, having been having a love affair with um, design and and obviously being able to dream something and then make it, um, as I was kind of getting closer to the decision of should I go to school, should I, um, you know, go work for someone, I had the opportunity um, through an introduction to um, a designer with that my brother made that I could move to New York be a paid intern, and kind of jump-started. And so for me, I sort of jumped at that opportunity. Um, it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, you know, mm-hmm. forego school um, in, in lieu of that and really just begin to pursue um, what I thought my dream was at the time. Um, and so moved at 18 and began to work for this designer. And after about six months, um, they hired me full-time. And then, um, you know, I paid my dues, rose up in the ranks. I worked there for um, about three years uh, before I decided I really had a passion for, you know, what I, what I wanted to see in my vision. And Mm -hmm. um, by doing that on the side and sort of the CEO, you know, supporting that, um, it allowed me to be able to work, work on my designs and then eventually when she saw that my fire was probably too much in my direction she said uh you're fired you know what you're doing uh go do it right <laughs> you're like I needed that kick in the pants thanks yeah uh,
0: so so while you were working for this fashion house is that kind of where you got all your training just because I mean I know I, I studied costume design in college and then went on to do costumes for movies before having my own accessory line years ago but I know that or for me at least, I found that costume design was so different than, you know, than fashion in a sense, right? Because you're kind of the, – the whole production part of it is really different. You're not trying to sell to stores or take orders or talk to buyers and things like that. So, you know, when you were working at this fashion house, you know, kind of getting your feet wet, did you really learn all aspects of the business there so that, you know, you felt confident kind of walking out on your own? Or did you feel like you were kind of still – a little too young to be you know to be out there and still kind of flailing a little bit
1: um, I think that it was a mix. I think, having worked at a ha- you know at a fashion house and really learning what goes into it, and I was lucky enough that she really made sure that I saw all aspects of the business um, and worked in all areas of it, so I worked in logistics and shipping and um, customer service and PR so I felt like with that at least I had. Um, an understanding of how, you know, generally how it worked. Um, I was definitely not prepared nor probably in hindsight ready to do it on my own. I had no idea how to cost garments properly, how to manage the, you know, money coming in, um, having a business, you know, account and a tax ID number. So um, probably early on many mistakes that I made that probably would have been circumvented had, um I know some of those early details, but I'm here now, mm-hmm. so I can't I can't regret any of it. <laughs> of um, course. But uh I probably had my schooling be all my failures and learnings, you know, for the next four years.
0: hmm Which is often
1: the best way to learn, which is how I got to the name of my podcast. Um
0: so so I wanted to just kinda of talk a little bit about kind of how what what you started out with in the beginning and kind of how you figured out what your secret sauce was as far as being a designer and what really, you know, sold in stores and what attracted people to your brand and kind of how, what, what it was that really made you kind of, you know, blast out of the dark hole and into the, into the limelight.
1: Do you mean when I had the apparel line or the just the clothing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, when you first started out, you know, when you left
0: the fashion house and, you know, she kicked you out and said, go do your thing, what, what were you doing then and kind of how did you figure out, you know what, what was really selling, and and sort of what took you on to the next to the next stage of developing your brand.
1: I think that um, I, w- I guess there was a bit of luck in there. In that um, the first, you know, one of the first garments that I did um, was worn on national TV, and my name was said. So that led to a lot of early recognition, where I could sort of uh, get appointments and go see stores. And, they, you know, they would happily see me because they, they may not know what I was known for, but um, they definitely had heard the name. So I think that greased the lines for me to say, I don't just have, you know, a T-shirt. I have a whole line. And then from there, I was able to secure um, some stores early on. And then with enough of those stores, I was able to actually go to an independent sales rep and say, hey, you know, I currently have five, six stores that I sell to. You know, could you help me? sell to more. So she and I would go on the road together, um, door-to-door, old-school style, meet with the buyers, mm-hmm. take our stuff out of the suitcase, and, um, you know, really started started bootstrapping like that.
0: And, and so once, once you had that part of the line going, you know, sort of what – I mean, I know – well, things I've read about you, and maybe it's true or not true, but, it, you know, kind of talk – your bio and other articles about you talk about your – first handbag line I think in 2005 and that that really put you on a map on the map in a different way do you did you feel like you were really successful prior to that in in the same way or did did bringing in the accessories kind of change your business around for you I
1: I think there was um you know when I did launch the handbag it was just the idea that it was going to be a one piece accessory to um the clothing line and when It had that heat behind it when Daily Candy wrote about it, which created the heat. Mm -hmm. um, It was the first time where I felt that I wasn't going to have to push, you know, the rock up the mountain, or the rock wasn't as heavy. It was the first time I had the momentum behind me that I was thinking to myself, oh, I should probably focus on this because there is a heat behind this that um, I've been working really hard the last four years, but never the type of response as as what the bag meant to people, so I think that's when you know I had enough of a feeling that I you know I called my dad. I said, "Hey, will you help me?" He said, "No." And then I called my brother, and he said, "Yes." And I think you know he could also feel that there was a heat behind it. Mm-hmm. What's that like for you working with your brother? Uh, most of the time, it's good. We're very <laughs> honest, that sometimes we fight. Um, I think that's normal of any relationship that you have where you're working with someone um but at the end of the day you know it's 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 worked beautifully because we complement each other and um you know i think always having that person that you can trust is um you can't put a price tag on that yeah i totally agree
0: so so after um after daily candy wrote about your um bag did pr start to play a bigger role for you in, in getting sales and developing the brand or had that kind of always been in play for you or was it just like the bag that actually, you know, drew the, drew bigger PR, um, instances for you?
1: I think the bag, um, ignited something that, you know, it was the rise of contemporary bags at that moment. I think that was like a new idea at the time. And so I think that, you know, the PR came and it didn't stop. And I, you know, I, I, I once I knew how to get PR I could pour um you know the coals on that and then really mm-hmm. um begin to ride, you know, between the PR and the sales, sort of ride that hum, that engine that um, you know, made it so that we could just keep keep getting bigger.
0: Did did um you mentioned that in the very beginning that you're that your, your outfit, one of your outfits was worn on a celebrity, right, and that your name was used. And so did did you kind of capitalize on that later on? You know, one, once the handbag came out and Daily Candy and the rest of the press bandwagon started rolling out, did you start to get more products to celebrities? And did has that really helped your brand grow in different ways?
1: That played a big role early on. You know, before there were bloggers or influencers, um, definitely – Uh, you know, getting your bag on a celebrity would be huge. So I very much focused on, you know, finding girls that were relevant to my brand and whatever I could do to get them the product, I would do. Sometimes even passing one off as, as they were hiding hiding from paparazzi, uh, running out of a hotel to doing a deal on the street where I literally had a garbage bag full of bags and met up with Agnestine, and she picked picked him out of a garbage bag. so I think that mm-hmm. um, I knew that the power of that would also help propel sales, and as celebrity has evolved, you know as a company we've evolved in terms of celebrity is very important, but so is, you know, making sure you have your bags on the right influencers and, and now more than ever, you know, the rise of these micro-influencers where, you know, they might have fifteen a 100,000 followers, but those people are sometimes more dedicated than, um, you know, and more, you know, ripe to purchase or, or mm-hmm. buy something that that influencer puts out than some of the bigger ones.
0: Right, because they have such a loyal following. These people... They say jump and they say how high. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so have you guys really, have you turned more of your uh, media attention to these influencers and other social media play outs? Or, you know, do you guys do Facebook ads or do you mostly just kind of go with influencers or, you know, other people on Instagram? And
1: We don't really do traditional advertising. You know, we'll follow you, obviously, if you've Googled us. Um, and we'll boost Facebook posts when they relate to an event. Like if I'm hosting an event at the store, we'll do a geo-targeted event. Um, for the most part, I would say you know our marketing and advertising is on influencers or word of mouth um, with you know strategic targeted um, online advertising um, to the people that we want to see it. That's great.
0: Do you guys, do you still design everything yourself? I mean, you guys, it's such a huge company now, and you have so many branches and lines. Um, Or do you have a design team, or how do you do
1: all that now? Um, I wouldn't sleep, and I wouldn't be on the phone with you (laughs) if I still designed everything myself. Um, I have a really incredible team, and um i of course am involved in color concept the general impetus and inspiration of the collection and then my team will often you know and then i'll send ideas i'll go shopping vintage all that and then um, it's a back and forth dialogue with the team Uh, a lot of meetings a lot of design meetings um that i'm involved in to then have it have it come out at the end you know as my vision so Mm -hmm. it's like that in all categories That's cool. Um, It must
0: be totally different than back in the beginning days when you were doing it all yourself.
1: (laughs) It is. I mean, recently, um, you know, we sort of restructured our apparel. So I was thrown back into, you know, old school, every single thing. And I loved it. But I also was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't do anything else if I'm full on in this. And so, you know, I think we, um, we know, we made the choice that if we want to if we are the brand that's in touch with our consumer and I have that dialogue, it involves me doing other things than just being in, in the back of the design room and we felt like it was worth it to obviously, it has my spirit, it has my aesthetic, but I, it also is just as important that I'm out there meeting my consumer. Sure,
0: of course. Well, so part kind of segueing on that, let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with Project Runway and kind of How, again, kind of how do you fit all of this
1: stuff in? (laughs) So we shot that uh, that show in April for a month straight. Um, that's probably when my inbox, which was hovering at like 1,000 on red, went to 7,000 on red. So that's an example of me not being able to handle that. Um, But we shot every day, eight hours a day. They had called a few weeks prior, said that, you know, would I be interested in being an investor on the show? And um, knowing how successful the other iterations of Project Runway have been, I I didn't hesitate. Um, I don't think people watch TV in the way that they do today, uh, but it's still a very relevant and very um, important platform.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and what was that experience like, and did you end up investing in
0: some companies that you still work with now?
1: Uh, it was very hot because we were under lights all day. Um, it was fun. <laughs> I, I learned a lot. I definitely... Um, you know, I'm so used to the aesthetic and branding parts of a business. Um, and a lot of the questions that the other investors had on the show were really about business and profit and margin and um, customer acquisition. And I was kind of like, oh, my gosh. Yes, <laughs> I, I always know that's important. But, I'm, you know, if I'm going to invest in someone, I can't just think that what they're doing is pretty and they have a good brand, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: really sort of wrapping my head around all those other important details was great learning for me um, and important to know. And we, we invested in a few of the companies um, and still working with them.
0: That sounds like fun. I mean, it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of going back to your roots and looking at how they can, I bet, I'm sure, how they can grow their brand and use a lot of the techniques that, you know, that you learned From your street MBA
1: that you got, my street MBA. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, because it's. And
0: so, have you have you taken on investors in your company yourself over the years?
1: Yeah, we have two. In 2012, we took on um, TSG, and then in I want to say 15 or 14, um, a company called Swire, and they they have minority minority investments mm-hmm. in the company. And what's that been like to work with investors? I think it's always um, an interesting journey. I think, you know, having an investor is sort of like, you know, you're married to a degree in the, in the business world. And so I think it's um, definitely given us a lot of learnings. Um, you know, clearly we wouldn't be able to have had the expansion we've had without them. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you disagree, sometimes you agree, and you just have to work through it. Yeah.
0: I've had many investors on and off in different companies over the years. And I I know how it can you can have your highs and lows with well with everything in your business. But yeah. um, Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Fitbox and what you're doing with that. And, you know, kind of tell tell me what's going on with that whole deal.
1: So Fitbox is one of the companies um, I had actually said on the show, you know, I didn't feel like he was ready for an investment, but I would, you know, almost have advisorship um, shares um, in return for kind of guiding him so that at some point, you know, either I would invest or he would be ready to be invested in by another company. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we look at everything to... I think originally, you know, he was going to buy inventory and had designers and um, was making his own products. And, you know, I said, let me tell you right now, because we had, you know, we thought we could have our own athleisure and we could have space in the marketplace. But we learned very quickly that the consumer definitely knows who they want to go to for workout gear. Mm -hmm. And if I have something that you can wear that takes you there and takes you home, great. I said, so don't right. you know, don't reinvent the wheel, you know, why don't you get the best brands and you know give her the world of so you have your workout, buddy, you have your great music, you have your great content, and you have these curated boxes, so that was a shift that um I was really pushing for, and um you know anything or I'll advise them on um you know upcoming potential collaborations or um you name it he you know he has an open dialogue with me to really just figure out what works the best for his brand and how do you navigate the subscription um the subscription model in a time that you know that model is being challenged
0: mm-hmm yeah there's so there's so many
1: different kinds out there, and I think there's so many different kinds
0: of subscription boxes that fit you know a billion different lifestyles that it's kind of a cool. It's kind of a cool new thing. I, I, I really, I like it. I, I feel, I feel like it really fills a need in, in so many different ways that we didn't really have available before, yeah. um, you know, and I, and I know, you know, because you and I both were in this world like way before the internet and before everybody was on email and, you know, all the tech stuff didn't exist at all. And and it's just made such a difference in the way people do business today. It, it just kind of boggles my mind all the time. I know. Um <laughs> I'm always saying to people, you don't know you just started last year, you don't know how easy you have it. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> you can push a button and reach a million people. Um so I want to just ask you one last question. Um, so, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but juggling so many aspects of your business, you know, time management has to play like a ginormous, humongous role in your life. Kind of you're a mom, you're married, you've got business, you've got these investments and all these things. Like how do, how do you handle it all? I just know most entrepreneurs are constantly, you know, with their – you know, hands in their hair, wringing their wringing their hands and freaking out and just not knowing how to do it all. So, I mean, I know you have a team and people that you can hand things off to, but there's so many things that you obviously have to touch and feel in your own business and your life. So how how do you do all that?
1: Um, I will be the first to admit, there's nothing perfect about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I go back to, I just was looking, as you asked it, 4,000 unread emails. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's that's this year. Um, So I think that it's not perfect. I think I do my best. I have a really great assistant who, you know, helps sort of schedule and prioritize. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a great team that I lean on. And I also decided, you know what, I can't get it all done, and that's okay. Um, And what, you know, what I start, you know, going, what's really important? You know, I think last year maybe when I look back, did I need to go to all those lunches, you know, um, that you're invited to uh, every week with different founders and different magazines? Did I have to do that or should I have worked on X? And so, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. so now I'm very much every time an opportunity or you know, a meeting or something is scheduled, I'm saying, is this the most important thing? And then I've you know, been diligent. I, I make a lot of lists. I get great joy in crossing something off my list. So I sort <laughs> of will look at my to-do list each day and sort of go, what is the most high priority and what can sort of fall to the back?
0: Mm-hmm. so and, are you really good at prioritizing the things that are the toughest to do in the first part of the day rather rather
1: than go take well I'm going to take the easy road first um I don't really mind where in the day the priorities come as long as as long as they're hit um mm. and I've also recognized that feeling that I get when I don't want to do something, and then I'll say, you know what there's that feeling, and then I force myself to do it so um and then i you know i also let's say on average two to three nights a week, whether I have to work late or I have store events. Um, I've made it a priority the other nights to leave here at 6 because, you know, I don't want to be that mom that has kids that doesn't see them. So right. um, I've also said, you know, we can start our day here at the office at 930. That, you know, that allows me to take my kids to school. Um, so I try and pick those valuable moments where they feel like I'm there. Um, not perfect again, um, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I feel like with, with what I've set up with what matters to me and, and my tolerance for working late or not seeing them, that I, I, for the most part, am kind of within my tolerance zone. That's great. <laughs> I and there's times so when glad. it's out of whack, you know, just oh, course, to be clear. Like the yeah. last two weeks I didn't see my kids and then I went to LA and I still didn't see them. And, yeah. um, so I think there's definitely times when, when you just have to be like, okay, this is how it's going to be, and. I'm lucky enough that I get to ha- to do what I do, right? And I can
0: FaceTime with them or whatever, so that I can touch base with them at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm so glad to hear you say that. You know, it's nothing that it's
1: not perfect, and it just oh, it's things not. have to get Instagram done. It makes it look perfect. Let's just, let's all just yeah. call it like it is.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this call. I really appreciate it, learning a little bit more into the inside of your business and seeing how things work and just wishing you the best of luck and not that you need it, but um, just really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you so much.
1: No problem. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to A Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere, and we'll see you on the next one.